Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Brinker International's third quarter F21 earnings call. At this time, all participants have been placed on listen-only mode, and the floor will be open for questions and comments after the presentation. It is now my pleasure to turn the floor over to your host, Micah Ware, VP of Finance and Investor Relations. Micah, the floor is yours. Thank you, Paul, and good morning, everyone. With me on today's call are Wyman Roberts, Chief Executive Officer and President, and Joe Taylor, our Chief Financial Officer. Results for the quarter were released earlier this morning and are available on our website at Brinker.com. Wyman and Joe will first make prepared comments related to our operating performance and strategic initiatives. Then we will open the call for your questions. Before beginning our comments, it is my job to remind everyone of our safe harbor regarding the forward-looking statements. During our call, management may discuss certain items which are not based entirely on historical facts. Any such items should be considered forward-looking statements within the meaning of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. All such statements are subject to risk and uncertainties which could cause actual results to differ from those anticipated. Such risk and uncertainties include facts press release and the company's filings with the SEC. And of course, on the call, we may refer to certain non-GAAP financial measures that management uses in its review of the business and believes will provide insight into the company's ongoing operations. And with that said, I will turn the call over to Wyman. Thanks, Micah, and thanks everyone for joining us this morning. With the rollout of vaccines in full swing and restrictions lifting across the country, our guests pent up demand for a dine-in experience is being released as well. People are finally starting to feel safer to venture out and spend more, spend some of the money they've been saving over the past year. We're excited about the positive momentum in our economy and the resurgence in our dining rooms. When we last talked at the end of January, we were already seeing progress in the business, even as we were navigating a COVID spike that drove another wave of capacity restrictions in our dining rooms. Just as we started to see numbers of cases come back down, we were hit with the winter storm of the century that impacted our restaurants across Texas and the Southeast at levels we haven't experienced before. But despite the challenges at the start of the third quarter, we ended strong, delivering an adjusted EPS of 78 cents, with chili sales returning to positive territory from an absolute perspective. And we've seen those sales trends continue into April. When we look at our more normalized performance of fiscal 19, chili sales are up 10% and nearly three quarters of our restaurants are generating meaningful positive results, even though we're still social distancing and wearing masks in all of our restaurants and we're still operating under capacity restraints across the country. We believed all along that consumers' increased demand for convenience would continue post-pandemic and it's playing out that way. As our dining room traffic increases, our off-premise business continues to hold strong. We expect that when things normalize, we'll see stronger dining rooms and a takeout and delivery business stronger than it was pre-pandemic. As you think about Maggiano's in the context of this recovery, upscale casual is playing itself out a little differently. We're pleased with the significant improvements in the Maggiano's business, especially in their dining rooms. Now it's just a matter of how quickly banquets come back. We know there's significant pent-up demand and we're well positioned to meet it, we're already seeing signs of social occasions returning, and we feel good about building our corporate business back in time for the important holiday season. Staying focused on our strategy throughout the extraordinary events of the past year have served, has served us well, 
as we consistently outperform the industry. We have good line of sight to hit the targets we were expecting post-pandemic at both Chili's and Maggiano's. Navigating the past year taught us we can run this business even more efficiently than in the past, and we're committed to keeping our cost structure in line. We think our category leadership driven by the multi-year investments in our infrastructure and digital capabilities will help us continue to outpace the industry. We still have a lot of heart for our restructured marketing approach and will continue to leverage our digital expertise to connect with consumers and drive traffic. The subject of labor is clearly top of mind across our industry. Today's labor market is one of the toughest ones we've experienced, but we have the tools to navigate through it successfully. While our performance throughout the pandemic enabled us to keep higher levels of staffing in our restaurants, we are hiring more team members than usual to support our increased volumes. We're also benefiting from our decision to keep our managers on board throughout the pandemic as they provide the operational leadership to staff our teams and take care of our guests. We're fortunate to be able to leverage our scale, the digital expertise we built, and our PeopleWorks team to recruit talent in creative ways to keep our cost structure intact and our guests coming back. We know the best way to maintain profit margins in this business is through volume. So we leaned into virtual brands as a way to leverage our assets and tap unused capacity. It's Just Wings continues to perform well, and we're on track to hit that $150 million target we set at the beginning of the year. Almost all of our domestic franchise partners jumped on the opportunity, and globally, several of our partners have already picked it up. Wings is now in nine countries and 160 locations outside the U.S., making it a formidable brand in just its first year. It's a real testament to our methodical and disciplined virtual brand strategy, how we've executed it, and the leverage it brings to our P&L and to our franchise partners' business. We have the system up and running, and we're executing it well, especially during high volumes. Now we're focused on building the brand and leveraging the growth opportunities ahead. We believe takeout holds a, a lot of potential for us, and now that we've invested in the technology and infrastructure to support it, we're working to increase awareness levels outside the delivery channel. We've learned a lot this year with the launch of It's Just Wings that we'll leverage when we're ready for our next virtual brand. We're pleased with the current results from the expanded test of Magiano's Classics, and we're working through the timing to ensure we're able to support our operators and deliver a great guest experience. So this has been an exceptional year of learning for us, not just with virtual brands, but in many ways. We've learned the restaurant industry in general, and specifically our team, is full of unbelievably resilient, amazing human beings. I'm so impressed by how this team has risen to every challenge that's come our way. We're stronger for it, and we're prepared for the growth opportunities ahead as vaccinations spread across the country and dining rooms fill up. As we look forward, our ability to navigate through any short-term cost headwinds is solid. Our scale affords us advantages in terms of contracting, keeping our employment base intact, and delivering one of the strongest value propositions in the industry. Longer term, we see a lot of organic growth potential for Brinker. Obviously, we'll continue to execute our multi-year virtual brand strategy and protect our improved business model. And with higher volumes, we'll capture new development opportunities and keep the brand fresh through our remodel program. I'm proud of our progress and our results, the strength of our brands, and our line of sight to future earnings performance. And with that, I'll turn the call over to Joe. Hey, thank you, Wyman, and good morning, everyone. 
The third quarter results reported this morning represent another successful quarter for Brinker and its brands. While the quarter definitely had its unique issues, I am most pleased with the momentum we are generating as we move closer to a more normal operating environment, setting up further success both this quarter and next fiscal year. For the third quarter of fiscal 2021, Brinker reported total revenues of $820 million with consolidated comp sales of negative 3.3%. Our adjusted diluted EPS for the quarter was $0.78. Cents. Chili's recorded flat comp sales and positive 4% traffic for the quarter, with year-over-year performance improving throughout the quarter. Regional performance is strong nationwide, with a broad range of state markets rebuilding their dining room sales back to higher levels, above 75%, let's say, when compared to pre-COVID performance. We do still have a smaller set of state markets, such as California and Illinois, which are important markets for us, that are earlier in their dining room reopening process. We anticipate they will follow similar growth patterns as we move through the next several months. A couple items to note related to the third quarter. First, we had a holiday flip the first week, with Christmas moving into the quarter, resulting in a negative 1% comp sales impact. In February, we experienced URI, a most unique winter storm that hit with historic sub-zero temperatures and power outages for more than a week, affecting approximately 30% of our restaurants. The material impact of the storm resulted in an estimated $10.5 million in lost revenues, a negative impact to consolidated comp sales of 1.2%, and reduced adjusted EPS of approximately $0.06. Once things thawed out, our positive progression returned, which averaged weekly sales volume hitting record highs in March. As we started to lap the beginning of the pandemic in mid-March, as one would expect, comp sales moved significantly positive and are likely to remain elevated for the foreseeable future. While pleased with this progression, we believe a two-year comp comparison is a more insightful view of our performance. In this regard, the consolidated two-year comp results for Brinker for the first four weeks of April was a positive 6.3%, driven by Chile's results of a positive 10.1% for the same time frame. I would note that Chile's is lapping off of a positive 2.9% in the third quarter of F19. Increasing sales volumes also favorably impacted margins, resulting in a consolidated restaurant operating margin for the third quarter of 13.9%, compared to 12.8% for the third quarter of fiscal 20. Again, the winter storms had a negative impact on ROM, reducing the margin by an estimated 30 basis points. Food and beverage expense, as a percent of company sales, was 70 basis points favorable to prior year, primarily driven by menu mix, as we featured steak on 3 for 10 in the prior year. Pricing was slightly favorable and commodities were flat. Labor expense, again, as a percent of company sales, was favorable 70 basis points as compared to the prior year. During the quarter, lower dining room capacity year-over-year resulted in a reduced hourly labor cost. We do anticipate hourly labor to increase, importantly along with sales volumes as capacity restrictions lift in certain states. During the quarter, we meaningfully increased our manager bonus payout, impacting margins by approximately 60 basis points as we move to reward this critical leadership level for outstanding performance. By leveraging our scale, our well-established people, practices, and benefits, 
and utilizing our digital connectivity know-how, we are confident in our ability to effectively manage through the current labor market environment. Restaurant expense was unfavorable year-over-year year by 30 basis points, a reflection of increased off-premise costs, such as packaging and fees, driven by our successful off-premise sales channels. Advertising expense continues in a favorable year-over-year year position as we lean into our digital and loyalty-driven driven marketing strategy. Fricker continues to deliver strong operating cash flow. Year-to-date, we have generated $268 million in operating cash flow. During the third quarter, we used a portion of that cash flow to repay $115 million in revolver, revolver borrowings, bringing the outstanding balance to under $300 million. We anticipate further borrowing reduction in the fourth quarter. Additionally, we are investing significantly into the growth of our brands. Capital expenditures year-to-date totaled approximately $62 million. We opened two new chilies during the third quarter and two additional locations in April, bringing our total for this fiscal year to 10. We are moving aggressively to further build our development resources and increase the NRO pipeline. We continue to target expanding new restaurant development to a range of 18 to 22 restaurants a year. We also are investing in reimages of our existing fleet with a particular focus on the Midwest restaurants acquired in early fiscal 20. Brinker has continually proven to be a leader in utilizing technology to enhance the guest experience and improve operational performance. In fiscal 2021, we will invest approximately $20 million of capital and technology that enhances our digital guest connectivity, supports our virtual brand growth, and improves our in-restaurant dining experience. Now turning to our expectations for the final quarter of this fiscal year, we expect both Chili's and Maggiano's to maintain their current favorable sales trends throughout the quarter, assuming COVID cases continue to decline and state and local restrictions continue to ease. Let me provide some additional specifics for the fourth quarter. Total revenue is estimated to be in the $950 million to $1 billion range. Adjusted earnings per diluted share are estimated in the $1.55 to $1.70 range. Weighted average diluted shares are estimated to be in the 47 to 48 million share range. Also, as we have previously noted, fiscal 2021 includes a 53rd week at the end of this fourth quarter. As we settle into the last quarter of the fiscal year, we are excited about the momentum we have built from the uncertainty that surrounded the restaurant industry a year ago. During the past year, the members of our support teams here in Dallas stepped up and provided innovative solutions to any number of issues since the pandemic changed how we all approach our work. And our frontline team members in the restaurants have continually delivered for our guests in ways none of us would have contemplated not too long ago. We are grateful to both these groups of team members who combined to lead the casual dining sector throughout this past year. They are all committed to finishing strong this fiscal year and then carrying the success forward. And now with our prepared comments complete, let's open that up for questions. So Paul, I'm gonna turn it back to you to moderate the call. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the floor is now open for questions. If you have any questions or comments, please press star one on your phone at this time. We ask that while posing your question, you please pick up your handset if listening on speakerphone to provide optimum sound quality. 
And the first question is coming from John Glass. John, your line is live. Please announce your affiliation and pose your question. Sure. Uh, thanks. It's Morgan Stanley. Um, first, can you just maybe just be a little more explicit as you think about the fourth quarter versus 19, what the embedded comp for Chile is? Chile's is are you thinking about waning stimulus benefits, or how do you balance kind of what you're experiencing now versus what you might experience uh, throughout the quarter? And I had, I had a follow-up on the margins, please. Yeah, again, I, I think, John, this, Joe, I, I, um, I, we're, we're thinking about it in a very positive manner. I think we're going to continue to see the same – uh, progression that we saw coming out of March and in, in, into April. Um, there is a stimulus environment out there. I think that's very apparent. Um, it's more than simply the stimulus checks. Um, I think you have, again, that pent-up demand that is getting a lot of um, uh, publicity and discussion. And, and, and not only pent-up demand, you have pent-up capability to meet that demand on the consumer side of the equation. So we're pretty bullish on uh, where the consumer is and, and how they will continue to re-enter uh, kind of back into a more normalized environment. And we also continue to see um, restaurant um, reopenings and capacity restrictions lifting. Um, the progression that we're seeing in um, the performance of our restaurants as a percentage of 19 continues to go up materially as we work uh, through each of the months. So I think we'll see some, some favorable pro progression there helping to drive um, uh, the uh, successful quarter we're guiding you to for, uh, for F4. And, and just as a follow-up, can you – well, I mean, you mentioned labor shortages. Obviously, it is top of mind. Can you just talk about how you think about margins over the median term because of that? First of all, labor shortages actually, if there are some, actually becoming an impediment, for example, opening dining rooms. Can you also just talk about what is the gross impact of the delivery cost in the business? Did you what, – what is the structural layer of cost? I know there's other offsets, but what's the, the layer of cost that have been added in through this – you know, as the delivery channel, both through virtual brands and as your own brand has, has grown so much. Um, hey, John. I, I think the I think there's two questions there. One is around you know what are we seeing with regard to the challenges with current labor environment, and then there might be a, a labor or a margin impact to delivery. Or, so let me just talk to the labor situation because I know it's again it is top of mind for really everybody, uh, not just in in uh, the restaurant industry, but in a lot of uh, a lot of places out there. Right now, as we are in this unprecedented situation with a, a fairly significant unemployed uh, population and a real challenge staffing, so we don't think that's obviously a long-term situation, right? It's never happened, uh, as far as I can remember, that you've seen this kind of a robust economy and uh, nine to ten million people out of work and not really aggressively looking to get hired. Uh, so we, what we're focused on is again leveraging our scale and our systems to uh, staff our restaurants so that we can, uh, you know, provide the support that we need to our, to our managers to, uh, to open and stay open and provide great guest experiences, but to also make sure that we're doing it in a way that doesn't uh, significantly and from a long-term impact our cost structure. And so there are some additional things we're doing to, to entice and to recruit, but for the most part, they're, uh, they're more variable. And they're, you know, incentives to get people to, to join and not so much about the long-term uh, wage rate impact that we'll live with uh, for a longer period of time. So we feel good about that. We also feel good about the fact that we're just not out there as aggressively having to hire um, because we just didn't cut as many, you know, and we didn't cut any managers. So those are things that are keeping us probably in a little bit of a better situation than maybe some that, that didn't, you know, kind of fare as well as we did uh, through the pandemic. So, again, more short-term impacts than longer-term 
and we'll continue to, to monitor this and see how, how it plays out over the next couple of months. And then, John, as it relates to the, um, the delivery side of the equation and, and the virtual brand side of the equation, from a cost perspective, I mean, systemically what you're really thinking about is delivery fees and, and uh, packaging supplies, the incrementality of, uh, of that. Now, that's obviously embedded into the, the modeling we do around uh, the channel itself. But that's, you know, looking at company sales, you're talking a couple percent there, you know, probably 2 to 3 percent from an incremental cost standpoint. Um, and then in some restaurants, you will see some uh, additional labor uh, in the equation, but that's, that's simply volume-driven. So as you, as you um, see successful volumes at a certain restaurant, you may have additional labor, um, which clearly is, is uh, um, you know, the volumes are, are, are clearly what we're driving for on that side of the equation. But I think systemically that's really the, the, the major differences in those, in those channels. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thank you. And the next question is coming from Nicole Miller. Nicole, your line is live. Please announce your affiliation and pose your question. Thank you, Piper Sandler. Good morning. I wanted to ask about the comment around development resources. What are those resources? Is it something to do with, you know, bench strength or is it just the actual commitment around the pipeline and, and what's, you know, the incremental cost or not of the development resources to accelerate? Yeah, it, it, it's really the people side of the equation. Um, you know, we're, we're increasing our development team uh, to make sure that they have the ability to, to broaden uh, their scope as much as possible uh, around the country. Uh, there could be some uh, incrementality around some outsourced uh, uh, brokerage opportunities and support staff there. But it's, it's really um, headcount, and, and it's, you know, you know I, can, I can use one hand. Uh, because they can be very effective if they're given the right tools and support behind uh, uh, behind their efforts. But we want to make sure that they're out aggressively um, looking at opportunities on a nationwide basis. And is 18 to 20, you know, the goal um, and the run rate, or is that the first step in a continued acceleration? Um, it it is the level we are getting to, and I'd, I'd put it probably more in the first step than the the run rate, um, you know, as we get closer to that over the next two years, um, we'll continue to evaluate it. Again, we think there's great opportunity to grow this brand, uh, to grow it maybe in some different, you know, you know, ways and footprints. Um, we're con we'll continue to look at all those opportunities as we move forward. So it's nothing to say that you can't go beyond that, but, you know, we'll get more specific with those plans as we get farther down the path, but we definitely plan to get to that level at least. And then the, uh, what happens in the real estate markets is going to be critical there as well, right? And so we know there's a lot of expectation that uh, with the results of the pandemic, real estate um, prices will have come down. You know, we just haven't seen that yet, and whether or not that comes to fruition, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But if it does, that opens up more opportunities. So, so there's a couple of things uh, in the current environment we know we can grow, and depending on which, what happens in the future, there could be even more aggressive growth. Thank you very much. Appreciate the update. Thanks, Nicole. Thank you. And the next question is coming from Alex Slagle. Alex, your line is live. Please announce your affiliation and pose your question. Thanks. Good morning, Jeffries. As uh, to follow up on the short-term variable incentives around labor, I mean, do you think the magnitude will be similar to what we've seen in 3Q, or should we expect uh, some sort of step up into the fourth quarter? 
you know, I think there'll be a, a little bit of step up, but it's not going to be meaningful. We don't anticipate it. You know, we, we've given you guidance as to kind of how we see the quarter, and it doesn't include a, a, a huge impact to, to that. You know, one of the things we're seeing, um, which is a little bit of a, a good news for our operators and our, or some of our team members, is we'll just use more a little more overtime than we've used in the past. You know, and, and a lot of our team members, especially in, in the kitchens and the heart of the house, you know, they 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 prefer to work a few more hours and, and get the overtime. Um, and so we, we may have to use a little more overtime um, than we would historically use. And, and again, that's a, that's a short-term kind of solution to get us through what is a very unique and, and really non-sustainable situation here with labor. Yeah, Alex, I think in the past when we've talked about labor inflation, we've typically uh, looked at that 3 to 5% kind of range was the normal conversation we had about uh, labor inflation, and that includes the overtime and training and, and, and bonus structures uh, we deploy. We'll probably be, you know, I, I think in the short run running at the higher end of that level, uh, that the numbers I, I talk about for the fourth quarter uh, embed that thought process into it, and we'll see it as it, de as it develops, but uh, we're very comfortable. We have the, uh, all the tools in place to manage through this uh, short term. Got it. And on, uh, it's just wings, just now that you've established the strong delivery business on DoorDash and expanded into pickup, uh, with the brand has its own website, I guess, now, and integrated with Google. Um, and what's the next phase of, of marketing for the brand and building awareness outside DoorDash? You're, you're a little ahead uh, schedule there, Alex. We do obviously have the great DoorDash relationship and the, and, and the delivery side. We've integrated with Google um, our website and our marketing push to you know to a broader consumer about pickup really hasn't uh, taken off yet. That that's kind of going to happen more here in the fourth quarter as we continue to to see what the upside is with uh, the pickup aspect of Wings, which we're we're, we're very um, optimistic about. We think there's a a real nice uh, growth vehicle there against that brand and against any other future brand. So, again, a lot of infrastructure work has to go into play to make that happen, and, and we're almost finished with that, and then we get to push it to the consumer to see how they react. That's kind of coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the next question is coming from Eric Gonzalez. Eric, your line is live. Please announce your affiliation and pose your question. Hey, thanks. It's KeyBank. You said you haven't seen any degradation in the off-premise business as capacity restrictions eased. Are we to assume that the digital mix is sustained in that mid-40% range? We have seen some denigration, uh, Eric. I mean, you know, we, we were running in the, uh, you know, well, obviously at the peak we were running 100%, and we're now uh, much, we've seen it go from the 40s as restaurant dining rooms get, you know, closer to that uh, historic level. Um, you know, it's dropping down in that mid to low 30s. And so we do see some, but we think it's going to stay closer than that 30% range. Again, if you remember pre-pandemic, we were just starting to push up to 20. So between everything we're doing and, and all the, the different uh, aspects of the business, we're, we're thinking that it'll probably stay in that low 30 range as dining rooms get back to full capacity. Got it. And if I could maybe sneak one in about um, it's just wings. You know, I was wondering if you could, I know you don't like to discuss the, the sales mix in particular, but maybe if you could speak directionally about how the sales contributions trended in recent weeks as those dining rooms opened up, and um, are you seeing anything to suggest that you might need to invest more to support that brand as, as things normalize? 
Yeah, I, 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 Eric, I think, again, I think the brand is performing as we expected it to perform. The fourth quarter was the strongest quarter of the three. Uh, I should have said third quarter. So I'm sorry. That's got a lot of three fingers just raised in the room. So the third quarter was the strongest quarter um, um, as we kind of learned how to use the brand around some of the major sporting events. Um, but it's trending, you know, how we would need it to trend to hit those results that we, we talked about. I think there's going to be some some seasonality as you look at this business as you go throughout a year, uh, and this is probably one you know you know we expected to have a little seasonality in the fourth quarter, and I imagine we're going to see that based on on uh, the first first couple of weeks. But again, right in line with what we uh, need to do to get those those targets hit. Yeah, and when you think about the fact that uh, really not a college football season right last year, so we're excited about what the fall will hold for the brand. It's been a really a great year of learning around uh, the virtual brands, you know, it's just Wings and others, around how to market them effectively, about how they play to different audiences and who the target is. Um, they definitely, you know, the, we, we've, we've experimented and tested several brands now and they all have uh, unique aspects to them. So uh, getting those uh, insights this year has been very helpful. And then obviously, getting our restaurants to execute and operationally lock down so that we're, as dining rooms pick back up, the wings business is integrated uh, seamlessly has been uh, hugely important and something we've been uh, very encouraged by how it's all playing out. Thanks a lot. All right, thanks, Eric. Thank you, and the next question is coming from Dennis Geiger. Dennis, your line is live. Please announce your affiliation and pose your question. Great, thank you, UBS. Uh, curious if you could share some more thoughts on kind of regional performance and, and, and specifically what you've seen in, in off-premise in, in those markets, um, you know, maybe kind of touching on, you know, maybe it's just Wings performance in, in those markets as well with uh, with the greatest capacity as, as things have, have reopened. Well, I mean, you just gave some good color, I think, on the on the how off-premise has trended and what you expect, but curious if, if you could share kind of what you've seen in those regions. Specifically. Well, I mean, yeah, Dennis, by far the biggest variable to regional performance is still, um, you know, far and away uh, restrictions, you know, and, and so it's all the other things, we, you know, you were wanting to talk about are really insignificant to dining room capacity restrictions. So in, in states, that, as Joe mentioned, Michigan, California, Illinois, where we're still seeing some fairly stringent capacity issues, you know, that's what's driving the regionality in, in states that have been open more. We're seeing, obviously, much better performance. And we anticipate as those states see better COVID results and, and COVID becomes less of an issue, they'll, their capacity uh, constraints will be lifted and we'll see that same performance. So we're actually very encouraged about the breadth of the recovery when you kind of factor out uh, COVID restraints. Now, specifically, when you think about it's just wings, it, it's not so much a regional as almost a market by market, and sometimes restaurant by restaurant. There, you know, that's where I was talking about. Depending on, you know, who who the consumer is for a virtual brand really drives trade uh, area. So there are there are some regional moves if you were to pull all the way back at the national level. But for the most part, where we see the real interesting learning is at the restaurant by restaurant, market by market area. And that's that's what we've kind of started to better understand. So, um, and then with regard to delivery and takeout, again, broad-based, nationally uh, pulling kind of similarly. 
Great. And maybe if I could, just, just one more one. I'm curious your, your thought and given your perspective on, on kind of industry supply, uh, how you think, you know, this, uh, this plays out going forward and, and ultimately how, you know, how, how your, the brands benefit from that. I'm not sure if you've seen, you know, any kind of, uh, you know, discernible benefit yet from, from, from supply coming in. Um, but, you know, overall kind of how you, how you think this, um, you know, this benefits you from a, a market share gain perspective. Um, going forward, recognizing it might be a little early to, to make that call. And, and, and really dealing with closures is what I think you're, you're, you're talking about. Yeah, you're talking about number of restaurants. Yes. That, uh, yeah. Okay, yes. sure. So, thank you. You know, we we don't have, I don't, you know, we're not out there tracking the, uh, the number of restaurants that are opened uh, now versus prior year. Obviously, the, there's, the, the number is been estimated somewhere in that five to fifteen percent range. I think in most of our trade areas, it's probably on the lower end. I think you're, you know, in, in, you're going to see a significant restructuring in, in major metropolitan areas, obviously in the in the New York cities and the and the Chicago's. How quickly they come back will be very interesting. There's a lot of stimulus. There's a lot of uh, interest, and so that, but that doesn't really impact our business as much. So we're not really counting, uh, if you will, on a, a great tailwind. We're seeing what we see today. We think that's projectable out into the near future, and uh, and we'll we'll see what happens with regard to you know com- competition, if you will, um, as we get past COVID and and uh, things get to be more normal. I think Dennis. Thanks one thing, much. anecdotally, we we are seeing on the development side of the equation is as we we you know cast that net wider is more and more opportunities of uh, looking at sites that that are, are you know closed restaurants from, yeah. from other uh, other brands. So um, you know we've seen we're seeing that at a higher rate than we've seen in the past. So you know another data point there to look at. Great, thank you. Thank you. And the next question is coming from Jared Garber. Jared, your line is live. Please announce your affiliation and pose your question. Thanks, Goldman Sachs. Um, can you give a little bit more color on the $20 million tech investments that you mentioned earlier and how, how you see that flowing through, whether that's in-store technology or, or more sort of mobile or website technology? And then also on the, on the new unit opens that you talked about, um, any color on maybe the shifting in asset design, uh, especially as it relates to potentially supporting these, um, these digital brands through the Chili's Kitchens? Thanks. Hey, Jared. Um, I'm not going to walk you through the detail uh, breakdown of it, but I will tell you just one example of, of some of the things we're excited about or one of the things we're excited about with uh, technology spend, and, and that's the rollout of our handheld devices across the country. So, you know, again, we've been working on a handheld solution for multiple years. It's been employed in, in you know, over 100 restaurants, but it wasn't quite ready, and so we've done a, a lot of work and we've invested a lot of uh, of time and energy and capital into getting it right, and we now feel like we do have that right and solved with, uh, and so we'll roll that technology out across the system, and that's going to do a couple things. First, we think provide a better guest experience. It also allows us to run more efficient restaurants in the front of the house. It'll make more money. So that's a great tech, uh, tech investment that we uh, that we will roll out here in uh, the next fiscal year. And that's just one example of what goes into that uh, $20 million bucket. Yeah, one thing uh, I would add to that, uh, too, Jared, because I think it's important to understand that's not a one-time uh, unique investment. That that's You can pretty much think of that as a run rate from a capital investment standpoint. And one of the 
and, and I think the, the market-leading advantages we've developed is because we've been very consistent on that level of investment into technology really now for a number of years. So uh, it's building on a base that I think is, is outpacing um, many in the industry and, and giving us that competitive advantage. And also, you know, supporting that, you know, that's the capital spend. Supporting that is an infrastructure, um, you know, spend that is even a, at a higher level um, that is making sure we, you know, we have the, the developing capabilities and the innovation uh, uh, to, to support things, you know, like our apps and our websites and our connectivity. And, uh, you know, so it's a, it's a, you know, technology is just a key component of, uh, of how we approach the business, and those spends are embedded into our base and, and our thinking going forward. Thank you. And the next question is coming from Sarah Senator. Sarah, your line is live. Please announce your affiliation and pull your question. All right. Thank you, uh, Bernstein. I um, wanted to ask a bit about the virtual brands um, and, and maybe the competitive set there. I, I think it was interesting to see a lot of restaurants um, you know, maybe follow you into that virtual market, utilize excess capacity. Um, and in many cases, I think we're seeing fairly similar menu offerings. So I guess, one, um, could you just talk a bit about the competitive environment there um, and, you know, to the extent to which that, uh, you know, informs how you're thinking about growth? And then, two, um, you know, if whether you think that that use case and that those menu items have benefited from, you know, pandemic-related dine-in uh, or, or rather at-home dining, you know, similar to maybe what we've seen in pizza, uh, just in insofar as we think about as people leave their um, their homes again, some of these, I think some of the food categories are probably going to see different dynamics, you know, headwinds versus tailwinds, um, you know, and, and um, you know, and wings in particular seems like one that's benefited. Thanks. Sure. Great question, Sarah. I, I think the um... – there's two things, right, that, that kind of bolden us, if you will, around a virtual brand strategy. One is, that, you know, it really is about scale and being able to do large numbers. It's about, you know, how many locations can you put out there and, and with, you know, 1,200 restaurants in the U.S., we're able to kind of meet that criteria. And so, yeah, there's a lot of people doing it, but not a lot of people with scale, and so they don't really impact you very much. And then operationally just getting it right and positioning a brand is not easy. And so, you know, a lot of people can throw stuff out on the Internet or put it on a, on a, uh, on a website for a, for a delivery company, but then to execute it right, to price it, to have a value proposition that's really compelling. I mean, we think our, our positioning in the wings business is very strong, and we can do that. Uh, and then when you consider our scale to buy and source product and all the things we bring to the table. It just it just gives us competitive advantage. So I'm not too worried about you know people coming in. And I think the thing that doesn't get talked about the most that's probably the, the most important is what's it doing to your base business and you know are you able to pull this off? And I've seen uh, examples of people throwing maybe three or four virtual brands in and it, it's just very very hard for me to imagine how that executes from an operational standpoint. As they and sometimes as they talk about simplifying their menu and their base concept, it's like that they just you know they just don't kind of go together. So you have to be very diligent about all of that to make it work both from a brand standpoint and from a and from a consumer perspective. So that's kind of how we see it. I think there's uh, 
there's going to be some winners and losers with regard to the product and is it just being kind of artificially pumped uh, because of the pandemic we don't think so we think the wings business uh, for in, in, in as an example is a strong baseline business we don't think we're going to see significant deterioration as uh, as we go back to more normal levels of, uh, of restaurant operations and some of our other concepts we think are probably going to see even more support than that. So we, we don't think we've gotten into anything that's too trendy, if you will, yeah. based on the pandemic. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. And the next question is coming from Greg Badishkanian. Greg, your line is live. Please announce your affiliation and pose your question. Sure thing. From Wolf Research, it's actually Fred Whiteman on for Greg. Uh, in the release, you guys mentioned that you're meaningfully above 2019 levels for sales and traffic. So I'm wondering if you could just give some context for that 10% quarter-to-date Chili's comp that you highlighted and maybe just touch on how you think traffic and check are going to pro uh, progress over the next few quarters here. Yeah, Fred, um, currently it's it's traffic-driven, and, and, and that's by design. I mean, we're really leaning in um, – to make this a traffic story. It has consistently been a traffic story for over over the last year, really, and going back really two years before that. So um, that's why we're being very diligent and disciplined around uh, pricing. Um, now, clearly, you have a mixed situation um, over the course of the last year um, with just restaurant capacity you know, shut down. So you're not – you haven't seen the alcohol, alcoholic beverages, the apps, the desserts, things of that nature now. As you start to reopen restaurants, we think there is going to be a nice opportunity um, year over year on the mix side of the equation. Um, the, uh, um, so I think that will be some incremental opportunity that flows back in. But, but what we're most uh, gratified by is if you looked at the traffic numbers, um, they line up very, very tightly with those comp numbers we gave you. Uh, so it is a traffic-driven story, and I think that will continue uh, kind of as we move forward. Perfect. And then you guys had alluded to some uncertainty on the event side at Maggiano's, which makes sense. But is the holiday season sort of the line in the sand or your best guess for when that could normalize? Are there any sort of market-level indicators that suggest that could come back sooner than the holiday season? Um, anything would be super helpful. Well, I mean, I think uh, I think the CDC came out with some new guidelines maybe as recently as yesterday around vaccinations and uh, people that have been vaccinated and their ability to congregate in in larger numbers without masks, and so you're you know you're really uh, we're very encouraged again by first the overall impact um, that vaccinations is having on on the country and and uh, allowing people to move more freely, and we anticipate that as more people get vaccinated, that this will improve and people will not only be allowed to but feel more comfortable gathering. And we're seeing that. You're seeing that in the travel industry. You're starting to see this process move its way through. And I think as you start, if you will, ticking off, okay, well, what would be the next thing that would kind of open up sporting events? And then, you know, social gatherings are going to be very high at that li on the top of that list. Um, so we just anticipate that happening uh, really organically with, with all the improvements that are happening through the vaccination process. And then corporate will kind of follow after that. So I think, you know, again, we're, we're not predicting, but if you continue this positive trend with vaccinations, I think by, the, you know, by the end of the year, towards the end of the year and the, the holiday season, we could be in a very nice place 
and people will could feel very comfortable uh, gathering again. Makes sense. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. And the next question is coming from Chris O'Call. Chris, your line is live. Please announce your affiliation and pose your question. Hi, it's with Steve Fool. Good morning, guys. Um, one, in, are, are you seeing it's just wings growth rate level off, maybe period to period, or are there any indications you could see significant growth over the 150 million into next year? Yeah, I think you know. Our, our, again, we've talked about it a couple times. The idea that uh, takeout on that brand, what what could the takeout business be? You know, how what what potential do we have when we start to build the brand outside of just the delivery channel that we have today. Uh, again, don't know exactly uh, what we're going to find out here in the very near future, but we just know just in general, uh, consumers take out more than they deliver. So, you know, we have to build the brand's awareness, and that's going to take a little bit of work, but uh, if you were to just kind of use historic uh, ratios, you'd, you'd be pretty encouraged that, hey, a, a pickup business or a takeout business for this brand could do very well. And uh, and so we're, we're excited. And that'll be the lessons that we learn here in the next couple of months is to, you know, how hard is that, how heavy a lift is that to get the brand awareness up, and what kind of response do we get. And so that's – we're already having – I mean, again, we're already having people every day in every restaurant come and pick up its – the numbers are fairly small now because we're not pushing – our own website and, and an aggressive marketing plan, but but we'll start to test that. So that's where we see the the biggest opportunity. But we also know again this was a year of learning around the marketing, and so as we start to better understand now, this was our first season of sports, and it's a very sports oriented product, and so we'll get smarter about okay here here's how we better market or more effectively market against the various seasons as they come around, and we're also now very much aware of where our markets that do well versus those that are a little softer. So all of that learning comes into play in terms of how do you grow the business going forward. Do you, do you anticipate being aggressive with the marketing efforts to build awareness, or do you think this is something you need to build gradually over time it's because it could be you can, can make operations a little more complex? Yeah, I think we've got, we feel very comfortable about our ability to execute uh, wings in the restaurant at, at high volumes. Again, I mean, uh, gone to our first Super Bowl, uh, we know there's a lot of uh, capacity and, and capabilities in our restaurants to execute this brand at a high level uh, of sales. And when I when you say aggressive, I think we're going to be very targeted um, and very so, and, and and we will you know aggressive. But you know, you're not going to see a national ad campaign. It's not going to see you're not going to see a TV ad with it's just wings on it on on national television. We're 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 going to be very targeted in in our approach to to, to knowing how to connect and talk to these consumers. Great. Thanks, guys. Yep. Thank you. And the next question is coming from Brian Vaccaro. Brian, your line is live. Please announce your affiliation and pose your question. Uh, thanks, Raymond James, and good morning. I um, wanted to circle back just on the recent sales trends, and I appreciate the monthly comps you provided versus 19, but Joe, could you help us translate that a bit into average weekly sales? You know, we don't have monthly AWS back in 19, so we're just hoping you could level set where quarter-to-date average weekly sales dollars are for each brand. We're getting, um, you know, when you look at average weekly sales, again, and then comparing it to 19, as you said, you have a 
you know, some different deltas there. You don't have uh, the Midwest in 19, which we have in our, our current levels, and of course, Wings is is in our current levels and didn't uh, exist in 19. So, you know, we've been running very consistently up in those mid six, mid to upper 60s um, for the Chili's brand, um, and then you can layer on, you know, for Maggiano's, you're running in the five to to uh, you know, six million dollar level kind of on a weekly basis. The nice thing is, as I mentioned in the script, is coming out of Yuri, the storm, and you started to then build into March. You st you saw these these weekly average sales uh, moving north. You know, I mentioned the record levels we hit in in March. You obviously had stimulus dollars flowing in, kind of in that mid March uh, March timeframe. But we've seen a very consistent um, maintenance of those levels uh, in April. But seasonally, Brian, these are our big, biggest months. Yeah. So if you're just looking at uh, average weekly sales volumes uh, for Chili's, uh, obviously Maggiano's has big months in the holidays, but for Chili's, the spring are our biggest months. And so uh, we're seeing some absolute uh, high volumes, uh, and we were in, and wrapping on those. And, and again, that's probably um – and again, you're looking at an overall system that's probably running on average in the high 70s, you know, um, from a capacity standpoint compared to uh, that time frame that you're looking at. So again, when you think about California, 10% uh, of the market and significant mm -hmm. markets in places like Illinois and New Jersey and, yeah. and some of the upper Midwest states that are, um, are not carrying those levels yet, um, we're comfortable they will, sure. um, there is, uh, there's upside to that. The other thing we can see, Brian, it gives us hope uh, a lot. Well, we're, when you just, again, it kind of builds off what Joe was just saying about the, cons the constraints. So we are still constrained in our dining rooms. Our weekend volumes are still being hampered. So we're seeing stronger F-19 builds, if you will, weekday because we don't have as much capacity constraints because those are, um, you know, those are some of the lower volume day parts and, and week parts. When you get to the weekend where the capacity comes in, you, you, you know, you're still being constrained. And so as the constraints get released, we'll see bigger and better numbers uh, again uh, across the system, but especially in those states that are most constrained, California, Illinois, Michigan. That's great. And, you know, I guess parlaying that a little bit in, in, into your fiscal 4Q guide, it, it would seem to, to embed, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it would seem to embed perhaps a little lower uh, AWS volume than that uh, you know, at Chile, say, for your fiscal 4Q guide. Is there a degree of seasonality we should be mindful of as we think about May and June? We can obviously see it on a quarterly basis. First half of your fiscal year is usually higher than the second half. But is there a degree of seasonality there or just perhaps broader conservatism as you set the 4Q guide you know, as we see how stimulus rolls off, et cetera, et cetera? Or just uh, wondering how you framed kind of that fiscal 4Q guide a little bit. I don't think there's significant uh, on either of those fronts. I mean, we're, we're pretty much kind of projecting similar kind of trends that we've seen in April through the rest of the quarter, uh, as Joe kind of mentioned. And, and the absolute levels are in the ballpark of what we've just been talking about. Great. And on the effective capacity, thank you for that. Uh, I think you said upper 70s at, at Chili's. What does that look like in markets like Florida and Texas? Are you able to get back closer to 100% or is there a natural ceiling with six-foot social distancing and other considerations in place? Oh, you definitely see it in different markets. Um, you know, there, 
um, we have markets that are back above 100%. You know, um, we have market, we have a number of markets sitting in the 90s. You know, they kind of go, you know, you know, as you get reopened, you tend to, to um, see it move into the 70s and then progressing to 90s as people get more comfortable. I think vaccines is driving a, a lot of that progression. Uh, hard hard to get to 100, though, yeah. without fully open. I mean, and no one's fully open. We're not fully open. Even if they say they're fully open, we're still doing some social distancing and we're still wearing masks. So until it gets mm -hmm. wide open, you know, back to, hey, you know, there are no restrictions and everyone's comfortable, there will be some constraints. I mean, it, it's hard. Uh, hard to get to that 80%, 90%, and then the takeout business is, is covering it. But, you know, to get all the way back to 100, because then you've got those weekends volumes that you've got, to, you know, where you need every seat. Um, mm -hmm. that, that, that'll be a, a bigger challenge, but, but we're optimistic that that's going to happen fairly soon. And again, run a 10. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt you there. Um, yeah. Last one. I want to just touch on the tightness in the labor market. Um, if you have it handy, uh, where does your employee count stand at the end of the fiscal third quarter? And could you frame how many employees you think you need to hire to catch up to sales? and then maybe wrap it up into the fourth quarter. Could you ballpark kind of the one-time hiring and training costs or elevated training costs that you've embedded in your 4Q guide? Thank you. Yeah, Brian, um, we can probably follow back up with some of those specific numbers. I don't have those, those team number uh, levels. Again, you know, we've, we've maintained a, a level of, of, of staffing throughout this. It is a good starting point. We're hiring, you know, consistently, you know, really in the 5,000, you know, per team member per month, kind of, which is a little bit higher than you would typically see. Um, again, a lot of that driven by reopening, the reopening trade as you come back in, in line. So, um, you know, as it relates to those specific cost numbers, that's that's getting a little into the weeds. I'll pass along. Thank you. John, your line is live. Please announce your affiliation and pose your question. Hi, thank you. With J.P. Morgan, uh, maybe you know a little bit on that last question. Uh, with labor costs running at the higher end of three to five, um, and you know obviously the stimulus and just money in general, uh, you know that's in the economy. What is your thought on menu pricing? Might we expect a significantly above average menu pricing uh, year at least over the next twelve months? And I have a follow up as well. Hey, John Ivan Co. Good to see you, or good to hear you. Um, we are, uh, you know, again. We're, with regard to any any of the pressures that we're you know anticipating, the good news is for a lot of our cost structure, it's locked down, right? So especially on the cost of sales side and the commodity side, we're, we're feeling pretty good. We've got a good line of sight. We've got um, you know some fairly good uh, costs locked down. So then you're you know the labor issue that's uh, that you're talking about could could put a little pressure on it. As Joe said, we're talking about maybe three to five percent is what we're dealing with. We know we like to price in that one to one and a half percent, but again, if, if anyone's got pricing uh, powder, if you will, that they've kept dry, it's us. We haven't priced at all. If you look at our differences between us and the industry on sales versus traffic, you know we've been playing the traffic game, and we've we've been really kind of significantly outperforming and, and working on the traffic piece and and keeping our pricing uh, powder dry. Uh, and so if we need to go a little more aggressive to a pricing uh, situation, we think we can. Uh, again, it's our last uh, it's our last option, frankly. We, we like to we like to keep the restaurants busy. And we like to give guests great value propositions, and and uh, so. 
but we we feel comfortable that if you know if this thing were to play itself out a little uh, longer than we think it will, or be a little more difficult to to manage, that we have more pricing flexibility uh, in our arsenal, and we ex- absolutely have more than I think a lot of other people do. Uh, makes sense, and there might be an expectation uh, for, for higher prices from the consumer. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, you well, know, and, they're and seeing company, that, John, and they're and they're not. And they're, I think that one of the things you have to, you know, there's the consumer sentiment during the pandemic was the consumer was fairly lenient during the pandemic on pricing. I think as things go back to normal. You know, there were two things that they that they kind of gave permission to. One was pricing, and one was uh, selection. And a lot of people took price and cut options. And consumers kind of understood it. There was a pandemic. There was all this. But I think in the future, they're not going to just kind of like carry those. I, those are things I don't think they carry forward. You know, I think they're going to want convenience and everything else. But I, I don't think they're going to just say, oh, well, it's okay that you've overpriced and cut my selection. And we didn't do either of those things. So that's why we're we feel really good about where we're positioned. Understood. And the second part of the question, and you touched on it, was regards to the cost of sales. And you know whether you know it's a base commodity, or it's uh, you know, or it's a shipping costs, or what have you, including labor that exists, you know, at the driver and the warehouse side, all the things that we're reading about. You know, there does seem to be some underlying cogs pressure that is coming. It's not necessarily you know for you in the very near term, you know, because of contracts. It might be. You know, I don't know, six or twelve or eighteen months away, depending on what your contracts are. Could you, you know, kind of, you know, look forward a little bit, you know, beyond the fourth quarter and kind of talk about the Cogs environment? Maybe, you know, highlight some of the more major commodities, uh, you know, to make us comfortable with your uh, fiscal twenty-two exposure. Yeah, John. I, I, again, I do think there are some some pressures that are existing out there. Um, the commentary around those spot pressures is what you typically will see out there. Uh, doesn't come into play, as you say, in the in in the the next couple quarters because of uh, the contracting uh, positions we built. So we are protected, um, you know, really across all of our major um, you know co- commodity components, you know, for the rest of this fiscal year. And then you build a lot of protections into the proteins and things of that na- nature as you get um, through the calendar year and 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 even out into the beginnings of calendar uh, 22. I mean, there are. Um, you know, their distribution channels are still unwinding, and, and that those do have impacts from time to time. Again, the nationwide um, distribution channels that we've established and the relationships we have with those broadline, um, you know, mainline carriers are, are very solid and are in place and are, and are delivering, you know, for the restaurants. So, um, again, scale matters and support systems matter in this, this case, and we have, um, you know, just an excellent supply chain a group, particularly when it comes to the logistical side of the equation, so that you know it's it can be an all hands on deck um, you know experiences at different from t- different time to time, but uh, we're working through all of those issues and are not seeing um, you know the 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 broad based disruptions that you hear about from uh, from some folks. So real pleased with the way that they are, are performing there. But and again, that supply chain will sort itself out. Um, you know, I think the disruptions are, are sporadic more than systemic and, and will correct themselves um, yeah. they kind of move forward. I, I think, John, the two other things you got to remember with us. Um, well, first, the, the distribution issues are really, again, more market-based yep. and not national, and, and the team's doing a good job to deal with those market-based issues. And then the, the beauty of uh, especially the Chili's menu is um, broad-based use of proteins, 
uh, very flexible, and a lot of a lot of chicken breast. And and again, the the commodity market looks fairly good. Looks like it's going to be another good year. Doesn't look like you know the the grain harvest looks solid. So those are the things that typically would get you concerned about the longer term. If we're looking if we're looking out into the future, you know the things that drive commodity costs. Uh, longer term tend to be droughts, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. and it's it's looking like it's going to be a, a good harvest, and so those those things bode well, and then we'll get through some of these labor issues um, better than most. Thank you, guys. Thanks, John. Thank you. And the next question is coming from Jeffrey Bernstein. Jeffrey, your line is live. Please announce your affiliation and pose your question. Great. Thank you very much from Barclays. Just following up on some earlier comments, Wyman, you mentioned that uh, your goal would be from an off-premise perspective to hold on, I guess, maybe in the low 30% range versus your pre-pandemic of 20%. So clearly that's a healthy 10% incrementality if you believe it's incremental to your to your in-store. So I'm just wondering if that was to play out in terms of that 10% incremental sales. How do you think about that in terms of the margin outlook. Uh, it would seem like even before COVID, obviously getting 10% more sales would help you leverage your fixed costs and give you a better margin. But through COVID, it seems like everyone's talking about doing more with less and being more efficient. So where do you see that incremental sales flowing through from a uh, maybe margin upside perspective, whether it's relative to historical highs or however you think about that incrementality? And then I had one follow-up. Yeah, Jeff, great question. I do think that's kind of center to our organic growth story right it's it's this um the leverage that we get through uh, higher sales uh a lot of that uh, higher sales are going to be coming through um off premise and it's uh it's a combination it, it delivers great margins in and of itself and it also allows us to leverage the fixed costs um and 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 grow the margin from that aspect as well without getting specific to what the numbers are that's the strategy um and we're very excited about it and it's playing itself out as we would expect. Um, you know, we're also not just counting on that. We're also, as you've mentioned, as others have said, there are other things we've evaluated uh, aggressively to rethink, to make sure that we're as efficient as possible while we support our restaurant operators to deliver great guest experiences. And and some of those things are, um, you know, are, are proving to be sustainable as we get back to um, kind of more historic levels of dining room traffic, and that's encouraging. Got it. And then just from a cost perspective, um, you know, maybe you could just address quickly marketing and G&A. Um, you know, marketing, it seems like it would be down year over year pretty significantly with a lot less maybe national television of late. So just your outlook on the continued favorability and and then as it relates to just underlying G&A, what you kind of think of as the normalized core spend as we now wrap on 21 and look into fiscal 22, whether you think about it as relative to revenue or opportunities from that G&A perspective. Thank you. Yeah. I'll let Mark and I'll let Joe touch on G&A. So I think what's sometimes missed in our story is we didn't just cut marketing. We re, we have rethought our marketing approach. And so while if you were to look at maybe the national uh, network television line item, yeah, it's significantly down. But we've reinvested, and we feel like the model we've been running this last year with the pandemic is pretty much the model we will run going forward. Um, so we, we're not – we didn't just cut those uh, those dollars and not reinvest them. Now, they show up in different places in our P&L, so it's not as easy as just the, the national network line. But those those places we reinvested in are obviously 
places, we feel much better about the return, and we can measure that return. And so it's in those um, much more effective channels of marketing. And so uh, we don't anticipate having to or going back to a, a very aggressive television campaign, if you will, on a national basis. We like the model that we're using today. And then on the GNA side of the equation, Jeff, I, I think um, from a rule of thumb, without getting specific to, to future, you know, uh, fiscal years, I think four percent is a is a good benchmark for you to thinking about. Uh, the thing I like about GNA from a strategic standpoint is it is very leverageable. Um, so I think there's some some opportunity there to that number as we kind of move forward. And and remember, already embedded in that GNA number is um, significant technology spend um, that is important uh, to, to drive the business going forward. Um, we obviously have all of the you know co compensation programs across all you know across the support staff uh, in, embedded into that program. So um, when we think about how you invest into the business, uh, we're going to have the flexibility to do what we need to do on the GNA side of the equation um, to drive development, to drive technology. Um, you know, to really grow the the, the initiatives uh, without having to to alter that structure as you kind of kind of move forward. So, yeah. uh, I think there's some some definitely it will be one of the points of leverageability as you build those volumes as you go towards that three and a half million, um, you know, average average volume level. Yeah, another thing we did this year, Jeff, kind of along those same lines. If you think about manager bonus, it doesn't show up in GNA, but it shows up in the labor line. And we've paid manager bonuses out at a higher level this year, significantly higher by the time the whole fiscal year is done than we did last year. So through the pandemic, we kept them um, whole at bonus levels, even though obviously we were, we were making a lot less money. And we did that. Um, and so next year, as you try and project out, you know, next year, we don't have a big hole to fill with regard to manager bonuses. We, you know, we anticipate and want to pay them even more, but it's not like we cut bonuses uh, way down. So now, as we grow into next year and things get back to normal, we got this 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 significant gap to close. And uh, so, so we feel good again about how we've maintained our cost structure and supported our people through the pandemic, and then what that bodes for as sales and traffic kind of come back, not having to kind of uh, again fill some holes. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. And the next question is coming from David Palmer. David, your line is live. Please announce your affiliation and pose your question. Uh, thanks. Uh, Evercore ISI. Uh, question on restaurant margins. Uh, the, the margin implied by your guidance in the fourth quarter would seem to imply you know, new peak levels already. Um, I don't know if you think if you could endorse this, but it seems like it would be near 17% for the quarter, uh, which would be better than your than what we see in our uh, in our model for past fourth quarter uh, peak margins. Obviously, it's a it's a weird time. Uh, staffing levels partially re reopened restaurants, so obviously these may not be indicative of where things would settle out as you get to a fully reopened restaurant base and society gets fully reopened. But how are you thinking about where your margins can be versus you know, fiscal pack? past peak of around 15% on an accounting adjusted basis. Um, what are some gives and takes to, as you're thinking about the, the, your margins and where they can go? Thanks. 
Uh, yeah, David, um, not going to argue at all with your math on the uh, the, the guidance and the, the perceived margin uh, that you, you put forward there. I think, again, we're very optimistic about it. In fact, I'm, I'm more optimistic today than I was a, was a year ago, obviously, but as we continue to see this strategy unfold and, and uh, the, the fact that it does drive the incrementality from a margin standpoint, um, I'm comfortable with the target, you know, being able to get back into those ranges over time. Um, we'll talk again more specific to for future fiscal year, but definitely upward trajectory uh, is involved. You know, I would you know I, I would mention too as it relates to the fourth quarter. Remember that is a 53rd week, which does create a leverageable event in that uh, in that last week. But um, I, I, even taking that into consideration, uh, it would not surprise me to see again comparing back to pre-COVID days you know, your fourth quarter margins demonstrating the ability to leverage and move that, that margin up nicely above where we were in the past. Great, thanks. And just a, a question on complexity. I think there's some questions that on this call that touched on it a little bit, but I think there's a little bit of an implicit worry. Um, one of your answers, Wyman, even touched on it, that you were comfortable with one brand. But when I think about things getting to maybe two virtual brands, and your own brand has is fully up and running. The stress is on the kitchen. You can imagine a Saturday night, maybe there being moments where you're freaking out uh, about capacity. And and I think some others have worried aloud about, you know, a company like yours pursuing the strategy that you do pursue, in that it will jeopardize that on-premise experience. So, are you, how are you feeling about that today? And are you? Uh, still as confident as ever that you have the capacity to deliver when you get particularly to to a busy Saturday night? Yeah, well, first day we are in some busy Saturday nights. I mean, we're yeah. setting records uh, right now, and and uh, and we have, you know, we have two virtual brands in a number of restaurants, and so we're learning the lesson that you're asking about, and it's a critical lesson, right? And we're feeling good about uh, where we're at. We got some work to do still. Um, to just really ensure that that exactly the issue you're talking about is uh, is dealt with, and that we're giving operators all the tools they need and the systems in place to to execute, and that's what we're doing. And that's again the beauty of of the scale, the beauty of the resources we have here, both supply chain and our culinary people and our op support people, and, and you know the, the great operators we have. So it's not to be taken lightly, and I, we don't take it lightly. And that's why sometimes I think people might be a little bit um, wonder why we're just not rolling out, you know, the next virtual brand, you know, tomorrow. And it's like, oh, we we want to make sure it's absolutely locked down and that we uh, we can uh, support our operators so that on those busy nights, uh, you know, we got Mother's Day coming up. I mean, you know, you've got to be able to to say, yeah, this is doable. The good news is. With these higher volumes, they get they get labor. They get additional labor in that kitchen, and so we can give them an additional person. And sometimes it can just be a dedicated person to just doing that. If you know if you're doing enough volume on a virtual brand, you can have a dedicated cook just focused on that. So all the other stuff still happens um, without really uh, being impacted if you set the system up correctly. So that's uh, but it's 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 really I think the critical question. Thank you. Yep, good to see you, Dave, or good talking to you. Thank you. And the next question is coming from Andrew Strelzik. Andrew, your line is live. Please announce your affiliation and pose your questions. 
Thanks, BMO. Good morning. Um, two quick ones for me. I'm sorry if I missed this, but on the unit growth side, did, did you say how long you think it'll take to build the development pipeline to get to that kind of 20-ish openings that, that you talked about? And then the second thing on, on virtual brands, obviously you've talked about it's just wings, 150 million plus, but just broadly speaking, for, for a, a virtual brand to kind of warrant a national rollout, is there a sales threshold that you kind of think about either at launch or from a sales perspective, like over time um, that, that, that you kind of think about in terms of warranting that, that level of rollout. Thanks. So Andrew, as it relates to the development side of the equation, I expect it to be a stair step over the next uh, couple of fiscal years. I think, um, you know, we will we'll look to build that pipeline a little bit further than where we've been at um, next fiscal year, 22 and then 23. I think there's some, uh, they're working hard, on the opportunities there to, um, you know, to see it come come in line with what I was talking about there. So we'll definitely continue to move closer as we go uh, through this next uh, fiscal year, two fiscal years. And then uh, I, I don't know, Andrew. Sales volumes on the virtual brand side of the equation. Yeah, there's in terms of when do we see the opportunity? Give me that question one more time, Andrew. I wasn't quite tracking with you. Yeah, I guess I'm just wondering if, if there's kind of a minimum sales threshold that you think about from a virtual brand perspective that it would then oh. warrant a national rollout. Sure, absolutely. And we, you know, we've, we've yeah, and we have those uh, targets. And, um, you know, I don't know why, uh, you know, if, you know, let's just say 100, less than 100 million, I, I don't know. I'm just putting a number out there now, but, you know, you, you, you want it to be significant for all the reasons we just talked about in terms of adding that complexity in the restaurant. You don't want people to have to work hard at something that doesn't sell. So what that number is exactly, but, you know, it'd have to be significant. Um, we think 150 million is, is significant, but we're also trying to grow that. Um, so, it, you know, it, it, that to go through the effort and do it right, put the systems in place, you'd want it to be significant. Then you've got this issue of, okay, well, in some restaurants, you may not see those levels of volumes. And so do you, you know, we still have that opportunity to say, oh, you know what, that's a market that doesn't do as well in that, in that virtual brand. So let's not, let's not uh, burden that restaurant with that. Um, and, and maybe we'll find another virtual brand that does better there, or maybe we just take that load off of them. So we're going through that whole process. And it's, an, it's again, it's an organic, it's a kind of a, uh, a learning process that we will continue to to uh, kind of work our way through, but yeah, it has to be significant. We don't want to we don't want to mess with something that's not um, that's not really going to make a difference. Great, that's helpful. Thank you very much. All right, thanks. All right, that was our last question. Um, so thank you, everybody. We appreciate you joining us on the call today, and look forward to updating you on our fourth quarter results in August. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This does conclude today's conference call. You may disconnect your phone lines at this time and have a wonderful day. Thank you for your participation.